Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Rick Battenberg. He is Chief Investment Officer of Clientele Capital Management Group. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the venture capital side of the cannabis industry. Obviously, as most of our listeners know, access to capital is a complicated subject in cannabis, given the federal regulations around it. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about how venture capital fits into this. We're going to talk about where the capital needs are, where the opportunities are, what's happening inside the cannabis world in that space. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, COVID-19. We're in the midst of COVID-19 and, and want to talk a little bit about how this is going to impact the industry from an investor point of view, from a market point of view, hopefully develop some ideas of where this industry is going to shape up latter half of 2020, 2021. So that is our topic for today. I'm excited to have this. I always love talking to the investment side. Obviously, it's a a kind of a different view of the industry. And obviously, once it's becoming more important as the industry gets bigger, as matures, as it needs more capital to grow and scale. So with that, Rick, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. You've had a pretty impressive list of guests so far. I'm uh, honored to be counted among them. Well, 
Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for taking some time today. So why don't we start with background? How how did you get into, I guess, how did you get into venture capital and how did you get into cannabis? I always find there's a story there with folks that are in the space. So uh, <laughs> tell us tell us what yours was. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my entry into the cannabis space was purely economically driven, not because uh, I had a taste or distaste for the plant, but, you know, my background was finance. So I was a, a Merrill Lynch private wealth guy, handed the IPOs and secondary issues execution and some of the private equity deals we bring into our portfolio. So in 2015, we're living, you know, I'm living here in Colorado and really saw the capital restrictive environment about five years ago. And was like, wow, it's really hard for these cannabis companies to get any kind of capital. Yeah. And that's really the opportunity I saw. I was like, wow, you know, if I can figure out a way to get these guys money, we can take a really strong position early in the market and really understand where we want to be here in, in five years. So, you know, I did not smoke cannabis until I was owned a cannabis company. God's telling the truth. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And as soon as I did, I was like, oh, God, I should have been doing this for years. But, um, <laughs> where have I, you been I, in my did, life? Right. Yeah. Exactly. I was yeah. like, oh, my gosh. But, you know, it was kind of enlightening for me to be involved in the cannabis space and just kind of see the passion and really understand where all that passion came from. And, you know, obviously didn't want to be involved in a space that I was unwilling to participate in. So, mm-hmm. you know, I got a dab pen and started hitting that. So I had I had no concept. I didn't want to smoke flour. So yeah. I had no concept of what being high was. So, you know, I started off smoking wax and shatter and stuff. So I was like, wow. oh, this is what being high is. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, it was, it was hilarious. I was just a disaster. <laughs> but it really taught me, you know, it taught me something about the plant really quickly. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, moving into the venture space was a very natural progression. You know, my father, who we started the company with, has been an entrepreneur and uh, venture and, and angel investor for my whole life. So, you know, I, I started as a you know three-year-old helping him balance checkbooks sitting in his office as a kid my whole yeah. life. So um, it was a very natural progression for me to move into venture. And I really appreciate the private side instead of the public side because, you know, there is a causation with the correlation. It's not just, um, you know, asymmetrical data just pivoting off of each other on investor sentiment, which is really kind of, I got fatigued at at Merrill dealing with that a lot. And I really saw an opportunity to make a difference and get you know money into the hands of uh, people that otherwise would not have had an opportunity. Yeah. And that is very gratifying for me to, to say that we've been able to empower a lot of cannabis 1.0 operators and kind of give them the business acumen and structure they need to, to scale, which is uh, you know probably exactly the, the path that we took with the clear, which is our, you know, our, our flagship asset, um, is really empowering a wonderful product and a wonderful group of management to come in and go, hey guys, you know, we can kind of take you to the next level. We can get you guys in more states. We can, you know, simplify your processes, eliminate redundancies and, and really get this in as many consumer product hands as possible. So that's been very, uh, very fulfilling as well. Yeah. And tell us just for those folks in the listening that don't completely understand why the capital side has been so difficult from a sure. traditional venture capital point of view, why does cannabis become complicated in terms of being able to put money into the space? You know, so one is because THC has to be grown, processed and consumed in each individual state, what you've done is create all these microclimates where each different, even down to the county, has different rules on who can invest, who can be an owner, who can't be an owner if you're going to touch uh, you know, the THC component of this. So for example, in Colorado in 2015, you had to be a two-year Colorado resident to own any part of a license or have an economic benefit from owning a license, which means that only Colorado residents could invest into Colorado cannabis, which makes it very difficult, right? Again, you also can't have bank loans, right? Because you can't bank, you can bank the industry. Mm -hmm. And there was just no private capital that was coming in because the risk factor was so high, or at least it was a perceived risk. And so that meant that we've eliminated 99% of the places that new businesses get capital. And 
really all that was left was, you know, entrepreneurs and private lenders and private, you know, private equity investors who were willing to take that risk on personally. And so what I did was I created a blind pool private equity fund that had a manager at the at the head of it making the decisions that was licensed in Colorado and actually did this completely on a kind of called a bet, but assuming <laughs> that the marijuana enforcement division would allow me to have outside capital if the people that weren't directing the capital, as, as in they had no control over the assets or the licensed entities. And then it was a fund that would liquidate eventually. And so I was I was correct. We became the first qualified institutional investment capital firm in Colorado that was allowed to hold licensed assets in the fund. So it was actually about a year and a half ahead of that legislation. It was just a, you know, it was a good bet. Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we we started raising capital into a, you know, this blind pool and then buying assets in every different component of the supply chain. Originally, you know, my plan was to go, okay, well, we're going to go buy distressed assets. We're going to yeah. go, okay, well, here, yeah. go find. But in 2015, 2016, you know, there was distressed assets, but, you know, we'd walk in and go, so, okay, so we see your P&L and they'd look at us and I'm dead serious and go, what's a P&L? What's a P&L? And I was You're like, like oh, oh. <laughs> Not that we're going to need a new plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're going to need a new plan. And so what that really taught me is like, okay, well, you know, this industry is so nubile and the people that are in it have such a high risk tolerance that they came from, you know, either the legal business yeah. or, yeah. you know, they didn't come from traditional business enterprise grade, you know, checks and balances or, or corporate governance. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, well, so what we need to do is get our hands dirty. And so what we did is we went out and we bought assets in every part of the supply chain. So dispense extraction, grow, ancillary, you know, lighting, training, leasing, anything you can imagine. We, we owned a company in that space or still do. Um, and the purpose was to really understand those businesses and create a diligence baseline so that we knew what a good dispensary is supposed to do, right? So, Interesting. This, and this may be just, so a good dispensary with 280E involved is can make 12% if they're really doing well, right? Which is not, you know, it's not a lot of margin. Yeah, no, it's not. So, so we really did that for every component of the supply chain and we kind of, ended up going, all right, here's where we want to be. We want to be in brands and distribution. So companies that have the ability to break off the intellectual property of their product away from the THC component so that we can reproduce it in, in multi-states without having to move THC over state lines. So flour yeah. was out. Yeah. However, extracted products, edibles, you know, distillate is, is a strong product category. So we have the ability to break off that intellectual property. So the branding and then the process is to create the product and then move that into different states without violating any interstate trade commerce act or anything. Got it. So you kind of take the formula, you can figure out the, the sort of business formula of how that works, both brand and operational and just copy and paste into a new state, find local biomass to like basically feed your engine and stand up a new operation. You have it exactly. And you know, that's obviously, you know, it has its challenges, but we've had been pretty successful implementing that. So we just launched Nevada um, with Flower One as our licensee out there. So, you know, they pay us a franchise fee for the territory and then we take a royalty and then we also sell them the packaging and hardware and all of the uh, terpenes and everything that's necessary to actually create the product and then provide training, ancillary support, sales and marketing support. So, you know, we end up, or the Clear, our portfolio company ends up Mm -hmm. capturing, you know, about 35 to 45% of the gross sale price of those pens, which is fantastic given that we're, you know, federally compliant company without having to actually touch the THC. So that was kind of the implementation of our our proof of concept of the strategy. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a big opportunity in cannabis in general is because 
because we're in a capital restrictive environment still to this day, obviously, yeah. without ubiquitous legalization, that there is an opportunity in the R&D space of cannabis that's been largely underfunded and I'm going to say under executed. You know, there, there's yeah. been good ideas, but they just didn't have the, you know, the business components to put together to actually get it in front of a consumer and really, really understand it or market it. And so, you know, much like that, that's why, you know, we're doing the uh, Cannabis Innovation Prize is because I do believe that there is some hidden gems out there that we can uh, that we can flush out by providing an opportunity for people who wouldn't normally have had access to that type of capital to do development. So very excited to announce that we're you know, giving away a $25,000 investment and the chance to develop, um, you know, your, your cannabis product with the clear. So yeah, it's interesting So that, that mm-hmm. because of the lack of kind of research and development using this kind of prize format to tease things out of the woodwork or tease things out of the industry that might be interesting investment uh, opportunities. I guess what, what are you, when you look at the entrance or the, you know, people that are going to apply for this, what are the things you're looking for? I mean, both business model as well as, I don't know, just kind of other, other qualities about the business, about the solution, about the team. What are the sure. things that you're really looking for? So there's three main things that I always look for uh, in any kind of investment we're doing. And number one is that the CEO has an emotional relationship with the, with the, uh, the success or failure of the company. Number two is that the CEO can do everybody's job in the company. Um, and this is really just a function of understanding small business and, you know, things get hard fast. You know, And if you can't step in and do whosoever job and the ball stops because you lost a person or they're not doing what you want them to do, that develops an issue. And you know, so someone who is emotionally invested in the success and can do everyone's job in the company, those companies tend to go further faster. And then number three is understanding their numbers down to very, very minute per product cost and what it takes, what's their break even, you know, really understand how they make money in an intrinsic way, not in a, oh, let me look at the, you know, let me look at my projections way, but uh, how much does it cost you to make this widget, yeah. you know, and how does that, that's something I look for because it's, it shows that they've, they've done their homework and research and really understand what it's going to take to get in the black. Yeah. So the three main things I look like for any investment, not just cannabis, obviously we do some stuff outside of cannabis as well, but, you know, from a cannabis perspective and an innovation perspective, you know, the, the things that I'm looking for are delivery methods and uh, onset methods. And, and I hope to be surprised and charmed by some of the innovation that I've seen. So, so this is really like the how the product actually delivers the, the CBD, THC, terpenes, whatever whatever you're trying to deliver into the person, like how it works, how quickly it works, how stable is it, how regular is it, how consistent is it, those kind of people that are solving those kind of problems. Absolutely. And, and I would say that that is just my own internal, I think that there's an opportunity in cannabis in that yeah. space specifically because right now, you know, we have edibles and vape. Yeah. I mean, that's really the only yeah. innovation that's happened. And I think that there's just a tremendous amount of different ways to get this into your system that, you know, I think smoking it and vaping it are, are going to lose market share per capita against edibles mm-hmm. uh, in the in the new, called the new world yeah. of uh, COVID and, you know, the vape scare. So, and, and you um, think you just know, because of the health concerns associated with, with any respiratory kind of challenge? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. And I, I think that there's a tremendous opportunity in the baby boomer market. Mm-hmm. You know, they're taking handfuls of pills and THC does not interact with a lot of stuff. And it also is a, is a really stable and non-addictive painkiller. So I think that they're going to be looking to those and they're very used to taking pills. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the ability to control and regulate those types of drugs when you take them orally is a little bit more difficult and it's a little harder to kind of dial in. Yeah. Well, it's the classic problem, right? It's like (laughs) someone takes an edible and they're I don't feel anything. So they take a second and now they're just on the floor sucking their thumb. And and I I shudder to think how many, you know, THC or how many people that had that experience and now they don't benefit from yeah, the off. cannabis plant when they would have. And again, that's that's my own bias. Just uh-huh. going on, you know, I think 
think that there's opportunity for, you know, a way to get this into our system that is clever and lower risk to our overall body composition yeah. than uh, vapor or, you know, I've seen nasal sprays. I've yeah. seen all kinds of all kinds of interesting the, things. The, but joke, the joke that if we if there's a surface or a hole, we'll figure out how to get cannabis in it. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. You got it. Right, right. And so, you know what? I If I had the answer, I wouldn't have to do the prize, I suppose. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, I, we've had a few people on the program, you know, talking about some, you know, some around kind of product innovation, some around really the scientific understanding of, uh, you know, everything from your, your gut biome and how that influences things to, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, modes of interaction, you know, other things you're putting into it, entourage effects of other things you need to include at the product to actually make it absorbable and effective. So, yeah, oh, yeah, the emulsification a, process yeah, is super, yeah. super finicky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a lot of innovation to, to play out in that space. I mean, I guess as an investor, what, what have you noticed? I guess compare and contrast for me a little bit of kind of other industries, kind of how things work, what you've noticed, kind of the types of businesses, kind of the challenges they have versus cannabis, the types of what you see, kind of how the industry is set up, the types of companies that are out there, the founders, the CEOs, the problems they have. I mean, what's kind of similar and what's different when you are looking at from a kind of a VC lens on non-cannabis industries versus cannabis? Sure. Uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of the same problems exist in cannabis and in other spaces from a business execution perspective. So mm-hmm. things like corporate governance and things like making sure your accounting is done correctly and really strategically planning how you're going to allocate your resources. We see that a lot in small businesses, people that are, you know, and, and to their credit, they're running hard and fast and yep. they're trying to get it done. And, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, sitting down and strategically planning all of your resources out and you've got to pivot quickly. So a lot of chaos. And because the industry was kind of born at once, you know, everyone is kind of in that same place, give or take a few years, depending on what state they're in. So where cannabis kind of departed from that typical, oh, you're in a, call it a, a, you know, whatever, a tech company, you know, usually when you raise your first round of capital, you're going to a venture guy, or you're going to a bank, or you're going to, you're going to somewhere that's going to force them to formalize their business strategy plan. And that didn't happen in cannabis. So what's interesting is that, you know, because the capital restrictive environment, a lot of these companies, cannabis 1.0 operators or, or even 2.0 companies, got capital that just made these ridiculous, goofy debt deals, like anything you can imagine, you know, yeah. just the napkin deals yeah. that have just really kind of the chickens have come home to roost on those in, in a lot of spaces where just bad deals have been cut. And that's something you don't necessarily see even in, you know, you'll see it every once in a while in, in small cap stuff, but it was something that's just rampant in the cannabis space. And it was because there was not a whole lot of financial leadership. And then, yeah. frankly, there was a lot of financial guys that were taking advantage of the cannabis people because they really just didn't understand what they were investing or didn't understand the structure at which they were investing. Or, you know, the cannabis guys just didn't understand the risk that they yeah. were they were exposing their company to by doing these deals. So I would say that's a huge, huge departure and a challenge for the cannabis space is because there was no kind of formal here, follow the bouncing ball on do your, your yeah. friends and family, do your series, you know, your round A, you know, do your B. That's presented some challenges as far as from a venture approach and from a, you know, evaluation approach, you're going, okay, well, we got to assume that your numbers are correct, but, you know, we take everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that's definitely been different in the cannabis space. You know, I would say that the licensing aspect of this business is also a huge difference in cannabis because changing assets, changing hands is a really litigious and difficult process uh, yeah. to go through the state regulators. So, you know, it's not as uh, simple as selling a, a house. Even. Yeah. Um, we're talking you know, incredible amounts of disclosures and incredible amounts of paperwork that need to be done for a, for a cannabis license to change hands, which kind of slows down the velocity of, of the deal making. So obviously, I mean, we know that the regulations 
regulations are challenging in cannabis because they're different everywhere. But, you know, that's something that can be navigated. It's not something that is impossible to navigate. However, it is slow and it is litigious, which makes it expensive. So that has definitely been a challenge for a lot of cannabis companies because there's this big misconception in cannabis that everybody's making a bunch of money. Um, (laughs) And nobody is. Uh, It's it's sort of hilarious. You know, everyone outside of cannabis thinks that, you know, everybody's just crushing it. And between 280E and between, you know, just the the regulatory challenges Mm -hmm. and the challenges that face any business, it's simply not true. Uh, A lot of cannabis companies are really struggling. And then on top of that, not understanding kind of their financial situation or capital strategy makes it even more challenging for them to kind of understand where they're at and evaluate their companies and raise money. And and so that has created a lot of opportunity for guys like myself to come in and really, I'm going to say cherry pick for lack of a better term, but been able to really identify assets that have been undervalued and not usually had anything to do with the actual product itself. Yeah, exactly. Right. It had everything to do with exactly, exactly. So, you know, we don't shy away from that. We're really become experts at kind of unwinding or, or making the deal work and creating corporate governance and creating a structure that allows companies to grow and really that that's really become our role you know we're the we're big brother uh, mm-hmm. kind of holding their hand a lot of the times going okay we're gonna get a bank account now here we go like <laughs> but in, in you know, reporting and, that, and we're gonna set up uh you know monthly meetings and exactly yeah. right we're gonna have a weekly management meeting yeah. you're gonna love it it's not yeah. gonna be standing at the register yeah that has been fulfilling can be frustrating sometimes but i would say for the most part everyone in this space is very enthusiastic and passionate and they're very dedicated to making this work so if you remember you know one of the first things that i look for is is their emotional mm-hmm. involvement in the success or failure and i can tell you that there has not been a single person that i've met in this business that has pitched us a deal that has not been so passionate about it, about it and so personally invested into the success that that is definitely a difference you know i see in you know a lot of other spaces people are a little less passionate about about their position you know they're in it to they think they think they have an idea of an idea or they think they have a product or something and they are very passionate about making it in cannabis and i think that you know it's a double-edged sword, but I would say that I, I would way rather have someone who is passionate than uh, somebody who has a great business idea but doesn't really care about it. Yeah. Because a person who really cares about it is going to go way further. They're going to. So that's, that's definitely a huge. They're going to do huge the hard difference. Work. Yeah. Exactly. So tell me, uh, you know, we're um, recording this mid-April here. And we're in the middle of this COVID nineteen pandemic. You know, obviously a horrible situation from a health point of view, economic point of view. Uh, you know, but cannabis was, you know, in, ma- in many states declared essential service is is staying open. You know, obviously mm-hmm. with modified processing or, you know, retail kind of dispensary setups and things like that. What do you think the implications are going to be for the cannabis industry going forward? And what do you think for some of these companies that, you know, were kind of coming into this with a little financial distress, you know, maybe they didn't quite capitalize well enough. They were looking to raise money to finance operations for a while. What's going to happen with some of these folks? You know, is there going to be a big M&A process here? Is there going to be some roll-ups? Is it possible given some of the federal or some of the, um, you know, license regulations and limitations and stuff. What's your sense of how the impact is is going to play out on this? So, you know, the first thing that changed was the way that people are making buying decisions. So I always try to bring this back to, remember, we're, we're in the consumer products company, yeah. you know, and so the way people were buying cannabis fundamentally changed overnight, right? So once you got people that walking into a dispensary going, hey, what should I get? Changed to whatever that's available on their site. Yeah. So let me jump on, jump on line. Yeah. So that's a, and, and though that sounds, it's really a huge change in the way that people are making buying decisions. And we've essentially moved from a, you know, in-person sale to a digital sale overnight. And I can tell you there was a lot of companies that were not set up to do that. Oh yeah. And that definitely affected sales in general, I think across the entire industry. So, you know, sales have been fairly
fairly steady. We saw a quick bump there when everyone got panicky. Um, <laughs> got to got yeah. hoard my hoard my cannabis. <laughs> exactly. So th- that was a quick bump, and then what ended up happening was a lot of the dispensaries were kind of stocking up for 420 already. Yeah. And so we saw a dip, and then things kind of normalized again. But I think that what happened was the 420 gain, along with the seasonality of cannabis, was dampened by you know the coronavirus. It actually makes the growth of the sales look very stable, which is sort of hilarious because there was some huge. <laughs> You know, there's a huge headwind pressure and there's huge tailwind pressure yeah. from both sides. So, but it ended up kind of being a, a net zero. I will say that I think that there will be more cannabis users at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got adult children home with their parents. Yeah. You know, there's been a major destigmatization. So, I think we're going to see quite a few more cannabis users at the end of this from their adult children handing them pens. Yeah. You know, kids home from college handing them, hey, here, try. And they're, you know, they got nowhere to go. Um, so, I think that you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I from it. a consumer side, there, I think there's going to be more users, point blank. There's just going yeah. to be more more users who are either come back to the plant or are trying it for the first time. So I think that's a huge, going to be a boost for the industry. Come kind of in a, uh, call it in the next year, you know, we'll see the the kind of effects of that, the, you know, per capita usage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely going to be some cannabis companies that don't make it. You know, I've been saying this for probably two years, but I absolutely despise the CBD space. And it's not because CBD isn't, you know, a good nutraceutical, mm-hmm. but it is because there is an oversupply. Oh yeah, horrible oversupply. Yeah. There's a lack of information. It's under demanded. It's under understood. And there's no double blind placebo controlled testing that can really validate any kind of real pharmaceutical application, right? So for yeah. all intents and purposes, right, this is like a new aloe vera. So yeah. that market has been compressing and I really expect it to continue to compress. And really just because there's so much of bioavailability yeah. and there's so little market for it because there's you know not a lot of really large companies have been able to achieve scale distribution yeah. in a way that's established any kind of brand awareness with the consumer on a whole. And in a compressing market that we're seeing here in the, the economy, you know, nutraceuticals and kind of those types of buys are some of the first things that people stop buying. And we're already seeing that. So I think that there's going to be a lot of CBD businesses for sale. And I'm already seeing that actually. I mean, it's not necessarily because they're not selling stuff, but it is because, you know, there's 10,000 different CBD hemp products on Amazon yeah. alone. Yeah. So it makes it a pretty tough market to make money in when there's 10 times the supply than there is demand. Yeah. However, I do think that there has been hemp and CBD was the call it the fake portfolio, the easy entry into the cannabis space without exposing yourself to too much risk. So when the farm bill passed in 2018, everybody I know that was thinking about cannabis went and bought some sort of a grow or a farm or an extraction or so, you know, and because the perceived risk of federal prohibition of THC, CBD being completely legal seemed like a natural entry point for people who are not comfortable with that risk. But what that really did was oversupply a market that had no real consumers. And so there's been good work done in the CBD space, but transitioning into the THC space, as I think that many of these guys imagine they would, is a much more challenging process than just going, oh, okay, we're going to be in THC now. That's not how it works. Um, There's so much regulatory barriers to entry. And then on top of that, getting into dispensaries, especially in developed markets like Colorado, is a very challenging process. It's not an easy thing to do. And there's a lot of capital, upfront capital that's 
required to even attempt it. So because of this compressing market, because there's a bunch of investors, let's say that they were, I'll call them, you know, tip of the spear investors into cannabis from a institutional perspective. A lot of those institutional guys got involved or the ones, the first movers got involved in hemp, but not THC. And they're about to get crushed if they haven't already. And so that coupled along with, you know, the collapse of the multiples of Canadian publicly Mm -hmm. listed companies, which is again, totally fair, right? Like those ridiculous valuations. (laughs) Um, But there's a lot of investors, the bad taste in their mouth, and especially the ones that were willing to be the first movers. So again, we've created this vacuum of capital between a compressing economy, poor performance from the stocks that do exist, and no new money coming into the industry. So the next, call it, I'll say three to nine months, you're not going to see a lot of transactions happening, right? Because M&A is not driven by collapsing companies. M&A is driven by growing companies, Mm -hmm. right? So there'll be a lot of stuff for sale, but not a lot of stuff that are going to be big blockbuster deals, right? They're just going to be like, oh, well, we'll pick up the IP for, you know, quarter million dollars. And if you don't like it, go pound sand, you know? Uh, So you'll see a lot of those transactions, I think, and especially on the CBD side, you know, anybody that has good IP on the CBD side may get bought up by THC companies. If they've got tech or they've got intellectual property that is applicable to the THC side, I can tell you that that's one of my strategies is looking at, you know, some people have done things in the hemp space that may be applicable, but for the most part, it's going to create a really challenging environment for a lot of smaller businesses that don't have the, they don't got the juice to make it through this. So they'll either do one of two things. They'll go out of business or they'll take on toxic debt, convertible high interest debt. That'll end up, you know, biting them in the ass. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I would say that THC companies that do weather this storm are going to have an amazing opportunity for the next 12 months to really capture some market share. Because, you know, with no new products coming in and no new competition coming in, you know, you kind of have an opportunity for the first time in cannabis that the train's not going faster than you can run. So really buckling down, focusing on operational efficiencies and and sales is going to be key to a lot of these THC companies that are trying to get on their feet again after all the regulatory changes and the prohibition of flavored vape. Just every day, something goofy. Yeah, it's fascinating times. It it absolutely is. And I think the the speed of information is, is really dictating how quickly hysteria can get can be damaging to to real businesses. So, uh, you know, I saw that a lot when in my Merrill days in the public markets, when there was bad news that was completely uncorrelated to a company's performance or, or yeah. abilities, but it was still affecting the stock price because investor sentiment had shifted. And, you know, you're definitely seeing the impact of that on a global scale because, uh, you know, information is moving so quickly yeah. now that investors are making decisions as fast as they can. Yeah. 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 It's going to be a fascinating, you know, 12, 24 months here as we kind of get through the sort of the immediate effects of COVID and then, you know, these companies sort of find their footing or don't find their footing and, you know, either get bought up or go out of business. And then the ones that survive. Yeah, I think I have a great opportunity. I mean, I think there's there's going to be a strong demand for cannabis. I don't think that's going to shift a whole lot. And if you can kind of keep your bearings and, and keep your business going six to a months out, you probably have a pretty good shot at, at some good growth for 2021 if you've done it right. Totally agree with you. 100%. Yeah. yeah. The only, what's interesting is that, you know, if you look at just straight sales, so if you're just looking at, hey, what do the sales look like in cannabis? Although we've seen this kind of fluctuation in valuations, uh-huh. sales have been on a straight trajectory yeah. up. Yeah. You know, across the board. Fascinating. People are more people are smoking, yeah. more people are eating it. And not only are more human beings doing it, but the people who are doing it are doing more of it. Yeah. So, I mean, those are all good indicators that this market is here to stay. You know, something you mentioned earlier about being deemed essential businesses, think that that really solidified the the fact that cannabis is here to stay. You know, if anybody was really worried about, you know, some sort of regulatory shifts happening, I really doubt that we're going to see a lot of federal movement in the wrong direction at this point. For the last three years, even with 
with a you know Republican in the White House, we've still seen positive legislative moves. And it depends on if America follows the, the normal oscillating right left, then you know we <laughs> yeah. have a Democrat in the White House yeah. next term. And uh, I would expect legalization to again accelerate. So yeah. um, those are all good things. You know, opening up markets to new consumers because you know people are using this using this product whether yeah. it's legal or illegal, yeah, exactly. which creates an amazing opportunity and, and amazing amount of call it priced in risk that we know people are using this product. It's not like we need to go into a new state and then, you know, teach everybody what in and out is. It's like, no, people know what weed is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so there's a defined market. There's a, there's a base there. And, there's a user base already. And we just got to convert exactly. them to the, to the legal side. Exactly. Uh, fascinating. Rick, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about clientele, about the prize, what's the best way to get that information? You know, I, uh, I post all of the media we do and all kind of our, our strategy on LinkedIn. If you want to see what I'm up to personally, uh, the Cannabis VC is my uh, Instagram handle. And then just finding about the Cannabis Innovation Prize is really going to come down to uh, the timing of the Infused Products Conference. So I will be sure to keep uh, you know our social outlets uh, updated with that timing. But you know we're always looking to deals. So if yeah. there's anything, you know if you get your, your uh, submission in and it's something we want to move on, we will move on it. So I'm excited to see uh, all the different things that people are putting together. I, I have a great admiration for uh, entrepreneurs who are willing to you know take that courageous step and, and try to do something. So you know, fortune favors the bold. So yeah, shoot exactly. me what you got and let's see if we can make something happen. Awesome. I'll make sure that the links are in the show notes here so people can click through and get that. Yeah, this has been great, Rick. I really appreciate the time. You know, fascinating time that we're in, you know, obviously horrible with the pandemic, but from, you know, what's going on in cannabis is really going to be just telling to see what happens over the next couple months uh, and really yeah, the rest we'll of 2020. Find out if I'm right. Yeah, exactly. Well, we'll do a follow-up episode. We'll go through our points and see what true. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, I got to hide, right? Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.